0: Chill! The winter backpacking episode. Is backpacking just a summer fling to you? We'll talk about the challenges of winter backpacking and how to remain thermally neutral. Then, if you've ever dreamed of wrapping your legs in merino and baby alpaca fiber, then your dreams are about to come true on today's Summit Gear Review. Next on the Backpack Hack of the Week, the forest has no lost and found but it does have some handy free stuff laying around that you can use if you lose some gear. And we'll wrap up the show with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the hills and fells, Chris Townsend. All this, and that's about it, today on The First 40 Miles.
1: Well, today's episode is all about winter backpacking. I feel like we're almost too late with this episode because it's February already. In fact, it's Groundhog Day.
0: We've already put up our groundhog decorations. We did that back before Christmas. (laughs) We were so excited about Groundhog Day.
1: And of course, we're recording this episode before Groundhog Day. So we don't know if the groundhog has seen his shadow or not. Either summer is just around the corner or we're in for six more weeks of winter. So just in case we're in for six more weeks of winter, (laughs) we have prepared this special episode about winter backpacking.
0: Also, you know, I was feeling kind of weird, too, that we're recording this winter episode in February. But a lot of places that people want to go to, you know, for backpacking are higher elevation. And at higher elevation, it stays winter for a lot longer. And you have a deeper snowpack and it takes a while for things to melt.
1: That's true. Up in the mountains, April and even May are winter backpacking. You're in the snow, and it could be snowing while you're up there. It's cold.
0: Even September, when we were planning our trip to the Wallawas, it started snowing, which altered the course of destiny for that trip. So yeah, winter, I guess winter could happen anytime up in the mountains.
1: Depending on what part of the world you're in, winter backpacking may be your default mode of backpacking and you may only get three months of summer before it's back to winter.
0: Well, there are some challenges to winter backpacking. It's not impossible. And I am still so new to backpacking. I haven't even delved into winter backpacking. I've just researched it. Josh has done a ton of winter backpacking because that's... Well, I grew That's up in I western up.
1: Washington, so nine months out of the year was trudging through the rain on a backpacking trip and the snow.
0: Josh and I celebrate our anniversary in the winter, and for this year's anniversary, we are taking a winter backpacking trip, which I'm really excited about and a little bit nervous, too. I don't know if you can hear that in my voice, but you know, there are some challenges, and the most obvious one is that it is cold. And uh, our top five list today will be talking about tips for dealing with the cold, which I think will be really helpful because I don't want to be cold. Nobody wants to just be cold. Another challenge to winter backpacking is that you have less daylight hours. And when you have less daylight, it also means that you get into camp and it's probably already dark. So you have the extra issue of having to do things in the dark.
1: You're cooking dinner in the dark, you're pitching your tent in the dark, going to bed when it's already dark, and waking up when it's still dark.
0: Another challenge to winter backpacking is you may be dealing with a possible obscured trail.
1: Most of the trail maintenance happens in the late spring so that means you've got downed trees over the trail or you may have washouts other things that haven't been repaired in preparation for all the summer traffic and so it's a little easier to lose your way
0: and then if you have freshly fallen snow that may also obscure part of the trail and make it a little bit trickier to find your way and then of course there's always the risk Of things warming up just enough to turn that snow into really cold rain. And then that increases your risk, if you're not prepared, increases your risk of hypothermia.
1: And there's usually more storms in the winter, so you could have a windstorm blow through and be knocking down huge limbs or trees on you. You know, you just have that danger aspect as well.
0: And then there's the risk that nobody wants to talk about, and that's the abominable snowman. We saw what he did to Rudolph and his family.
1: Yeah, you're right. I don't want to talk about that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We're excited about our winter backpacking trip. Josh has had lots of opportunities. He's built snow cave igloo type things and slept in them. But I'm going to be going out with a little less, a lot less experience and uh, we'll see how it goes.
1: When I was a scout, I went to a winter backpacking seminar. Uh, We spent a couple months going once a week to the seminar and getting ready for snow camping. And then we went up on the slopes of Mount Rainier and built our igloos and camped. I went back again the next year. And uh, that time I went up with a friend and we built a snow cave instead of an igloo. Great memories from those trips. It's just amazing the experiences you'll have when you're camping in the winter that you never see in the summer. It's a totally different environment. You know, one of the many things I loved was in the dark, uh, after the sun had set, which was like most of the time, because it was winter, you could look down across the slope and everyone had a headlamp or light inside their igloo that was turned on. And you just saw these glowing orbs these glowing domes all up and down the slopes as everyone's igloos were just glowing and looking so warm. You know, they were probably 34 degrees inside. <laughs> so nice and warm. It's just such a beautiful scene. And there's nothing like it.
0: Well, I love one of the things that you always say. If you go out when no one is out, you see things that no one else will see. And you say that a lot when we hike in the rain as a family. That, you know, we don't see anyone else out on the trail during those blustery rainy times but our family's out there and we see the glistening leaves and just beautiful puddles
1: the rain coming down through the trees just these experiences that you'll never have and that most people never have because they stay inside when the weather turns quote-unquote bad even the other week we uh, took our family up to play in the snow on mount hood Um, this was the day after christmas which i'll say was a horrible decision Mount Hood was packed with people. But there was this really cool moment that I had. We were playing in the snow, and then I decided to walk back into the woods a little bit. I only had to walk about 100 feet, and all of a sudden I was surrounded by silence. And only when the wind would blow, I would hear the snow falling off the limbs of the trees, just that little sparkly, almost hushed sound as it comes down towards the ground. I was so close to hordes of people, but just the way it is out there in the snow, you just get a little bit away from the crowds and you have this magical experience that no one else is experiencing.
0: Well, it sounds like it's definitely worth the sacrifice and the extra effort that it takes to get out there in the wintertime.
1: I think it really is. And of course, the more prepared you are, the better it'll be. So this top five list in this episode, I think is I mean, it's not just useful for winter backpacking because it's the top five tips for dealing with the cold. And that can happen even in the summertime in high alpine areas when the sun sets and it's cold. This is just a great list of things to keep in mind.
0: So today we have the top five tips for dealing with the cold. And the number one most important thing is to stay dry. That means don't sweat. <laughs> even more important than that, would be don't wear cotton because cotton absorbs water and it'll hold on to it forever and it's right against your skin so it's just gonna chill you to the bone.
1: Believe it or not it's pretty easy to work up a sweat when you're outside even in cold weather because as soon as you start really moving which can happen if I mean building an igloo you work up a sweat building an igloo Uh, but even just hiking especially if you're hiking through snow now you're exerting a lot more effort so it is really easy to build up that sweat and you may not really realize it because it's so cold out and so you just don't realize how much sweat is kind of building up under your layers. It's really important to be aware of that and make sure that you're unzipping and removing those layers as you heat up to avoid getting to the point where you're sweating.
0: The number two tip for dealing with the cold is to wear layers. You'll naturally heat up as you walk. And if you're out there building an igloo, then you're definitely going to heat up. So you're going to want to pick layers that are ventilating.
1: Yeah, they're easy to open uh, and then remove. So pullovers are hard, but uh, zip up jackets, you know, layers that unzip or unbutton are really good
0: and especially if you use fibers like wool and alpaca. Those are great for base layers, and they're also great for snow pants, which we'll be reviewing in our Summit Gear Review today. Another layer that you may want to include is a down vest or a down puffy. And really, wool, alpaca, and down are legendary for their insulating abilities. And then on top of the down vest or the down puffy, you'll want to have a waterproof shell. And that's just to protect the down because once it gets wet, it really loses its insulating ability. And I really wanna stress the importance of layering. It makes a lot more sense to have layers that you can put on and take off to manage your little microclimate than to have one big heavy jacket and have that be your only option.
1: The big jacket is attractive when you're thinking about it because you think, oh wow, yeah, that'll keep me really warm. But it's so hard to manage. All you can do is unzip it and then you either have to take it off or have it on. And so you just can't control the temperature as much. Another advantage of thinner, lighter layers, you know, on top of the fact that you can remove and add them one at a time and and have more flexibility, also air is trapped between each layer. So Each layer in and of itself may not seem like it's really very beefy, I guess, but when you're adding it to layers you already have, you're trapping air in between every single layer. So it's amazing how much warmth you can get out of maybe three or four lightweight layers compared to one heavy, thick one.
0: And you can use the layering principle with your feet as well. Don't just count on your shoes to keep you warm. You can have two, three layers of socks and keep them thin, so that you'll be able to uh, move your feet usually a thin liner sock along with a little bit heavier wool sock should keep your feet warm and i've heard that saying if your feet are cold put on a hat
1: the extremities i think are a big factor in comfort so if you can keep your feet and hands warm it just goes a long way in making you feel comfortable and making you feel confident that you're staying warm enough
0: The number three tip for dealing with the cold is don't be too proud to use warmers. You've probably seen the disposable hand warmers. All you do is you open up the package and you shake around this little packet with gritty stuff inside of it and then it starts to warm up magically. I love those. Then they also have foot warmers that you can slip right into your shoes and those are disposable as well. And they're also safe to dispose of on the trail. So once the gritty stuff inside has been used up and it's not warm anymore, you can rip open the package and shake it out. And then the only thing you have to take home is the little baggie that it came in. Then, my favorite option, which we'll be reviewing coming up in just a few episodes, I'm so excited about it, is the Zippo hand warmer, and it uses lighter fluid. If you wanted to check it out before we do the review, it's the Zippo 12-hour hand warmer, and it is awesome.
1: The number four tip for dealing with the cold is to move. I feel like this one gets overlooked. If you get outside and it's cold, you could be miserable all day. Or if you start moving as soon as you get outside, it'll build up your circulation and your core body temperature, and you'll be warm all day. It all hinges on that little bit of activity that you do right at the beginning when you first get out into the cold. It's amazing what a difference it makes. I know that I can go out in really cold weather to work in the yard or something, and I'll be perfectly warm all day because of that movement that's happening. Yeah, I come back in the house and I'm like dying because it's 72 (laughs) degrees and it's so hot because I got moving outside and my body adapted to it.
0: That's so true. I've noticed when I go outside and it's cold, it's so tempting to just tighten up my shoulders and keep my extremities tucked in really close. And I end up getting really tense, just like my neck tightens up and my shoulders are all tight and sore. And so if I can just kind of, I guess, roll my shoulders, shake it off a little bit and do, I don't know, some jumping jacks that usually helps get things heated up pretty fast, or do some kind of movement running around in circles, that gets just enough blood flowing that it warms up my core body temperature.
1: And the number five tip for dealing with the cold is to acclimate. I think a lot of our attitude and response to the cold is just built on what our bodies are used to. We spend all day every day in 72 degrees, perfectly comfortable environment, and our bodies are used to that. And we've talked about this on a couple past episodes. In episode 57, we talked about remaining thermally neutral. And then in episode 59, we sort of reversed course a little bit as we considered our kids who still go to school on their bikes every day wearing shorts. So they ride a half mile to a mile in shorts every morning in the middle of winter, and they're okay with it. And I started to think about that and realize that maybe there's something to that. Maybe it's not just that our kids are not getting it, that they're not looking out the window and going, oh, it's cold, I should bundle up. But maybe it really is that their bodies are okay with it. And recently I was listening to an episode of the Katie Says podcast. Uh, Episode 37 was titled Moving Through the Winter. So really related to what we're talking about today. She and her co-host had a discussion about the biomechanics of our bodies responding to cold. And the fact is that our bodies have muscles that are not only made for movement, but we also have muscles that are made for generating heat. And that's how we get goosebumps and shivers and stuff. And those muscles you know, they never get used. What happens to a muscle that never gets used? It atrophies. I mean, there's no need for it. It weakens. And that really got me thinking. It's important for me to get out in the cold more, to be a little bit uncomfortable. And maybe that discomfort is not pain. It's not danger. It's just something I'm not used to. And the more time I spend outside, the more acclimated I'll become. And the more my body will adapt and start developing more of that ability to generate its own heat and keep itself warm.
0: I'll tell you, my ears will never adapt. I think there's just not a lot of circulation up in the upper part of your ear. And that's the part that just freezes. Like I can be generally comfortable in the 30s, but my ears and the buff is great for um, like keeping your neck warm, but I've got to get something... Nice and thick and warm and smooshy for my ears.
1: I agree. Ears are like a heat sink. They're great for dissipating heat. I mean, that's why elephants have huge ears. They can flap them around in the wind (laughs) and cool down in the African Sahara. That's not what you want to do in the wintertime. And so getting those covered, you know, can be really helpful because otherwise the coldness just seems to drive right down into your inner ear, right into your head. Again, like, is that just a comfort thing? Maybe it is. But if you can address it, it really increases your confidence and your comfort level.
0: So Josh and I are going to have a chance soon to deal with the cold on an upcoming backpacking trip. Details to be disclosed soon. I think right now we're still trying to find a place and uh, I'm not sure. Is it a surprise, Josh?
1: I'll probably tell you the place that I find um, because we'll need to prepare for the weather. So it'll be important for you and I both to be kind of in on the plan.
0: Sounds great. For today's Summit Gear Review, we will be reviewing the Whoop Wear Alpaca Field Pant. Now, the typical hiking pant that's that thin nylon material is no match for the wind and snow and other general cold conditions of winter. Your summertime hiking pants are really built to help you stay cool when the sun is beating on you and when you're hiking uphill with 30 pounds of gear plus an extra 8 pounds of water. Even with a really great base layer, your favorite hiking pants may not be the best solution for winter hiking and backpacking. We found some really great pants that can outfit you for anything that winter has to dish out. I like to call these powerful pants because they will make you probably 74% more confident in a blizzard. I love them. So the Whoopwear Alpaca Field Pants are 70% alpaca and not just alpaca, but baby alpaca has nothing to do with baby alpacas. It has to do with the coarseness of the alpaca hair. So it's really soft alpaca. And then 30% merino wool, which we've praised both of these fibers up and down. We love alpaca and merino. These pants come in men and women's sizes.
1: For utility, the Whoopwear alpaca field pants have uh, a double layer in the knees. So they're reinforced there. They've got kind of the standard pocket configuration plus a little more. So they have the two front pockets, the two back pockets. They do have a coin pocket in the front right pocket, but then they have this extra utility pocket on the front leg that's zippered. And I really enjoy using that because I can stick my cell phone or my wallet in there. It's just kind of out of the way and it's secure because of the zipper. The mass of these pants will, of course, depend a little bit on the size. Uh, But a men's 34 regular comes in at one pound, 12 ounces or 800 grams.
0: For maintenance, you'll want to machine wash and air dry. And for investment, we've got some gender inequality here, which I love it when when it's in my favor. It's 169 for the women's sizes and then 189 for the men's sizes.
1: Well, I was so excited to use these pants when we got them. But when did we get them? It was like like August. End of
0: the summer, yeah.
1: And it was still super hot here in Oregon.
0: We had these pants packed for the Wallawas trip when we thought, oh my goodness, we're going to be hiking in snow. We better prepare. And so we both packed a pair of the alpaca pants. And then we ended up not going anywhere with snow. And so we've been dying to use these pants.
1: Yeah, when our trip changed to the Redwoods, then it was like, okay, well, I need to focus on waterproofing as opposed to warmth. And then I finally got to use these pants in November when we took a trip out to the Oregon coast. And it was finally, like, I felt like it was cold enough that I could try them without being in a situation where I would just be hot all day. And they were really great pants to wear. And I've since had several opportunities to wear them just on day outings. I was helping our son with a scout service project the last couple weeks. And it was really cold and rainy. And so I wore these pants for that. And uh, they just kept me so warm. And as we talked about, we took this trip up to uh, Mount Hood the day after Christmas to just go play in the snow with the kids. And so my setup for that trip was that I wore a thin base layer and then I had these uh, whoop wear alpaca field pants, and then I wore my rain pants over top of these pants. I was warm all afternoon with that setup, and I never got wet. When I took off my rain pants, I saw that a little bit of snow had gotten on the bottom of my whoop wear pants, and it hadn't even melted. It was just crusted on there. I just kind of flicked it off, and it was just a great setup. So I'm so happy that I finally had a chance to use these pants after waiting so many months you know, through all that hot weather. And they really have worked out well.
0: So you mentioned wearing them without a base layer for one of your trips. So do you feel like it was um, comfortable enough? Like, did it feel like an old standard issue army blanket? Or was it kind of what you expected baby alpaca to feel like?
1: I feel the texture a little bit. So it's different than wearing nylon hiking pants or even blue jeans. You do feel that texture a little, but I didn't feel itchy.
0: Right now, these pants are only offered in one color, and that's, what you call it, army green?
1: Yeah, or maybe a dark hunter green. It's not quite as olive as an army green.
0: True that. We have an army green blanket right here. That is true army green. It is a little more yellow than a classic army green. Yellow.
1: I don't know. It's It's more green than an army green.
0: That's it. <laughs> you know, the army green
1: <laughs> is a little bit brownish.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're right.
1: So you can check out the Whoopwear Alpaca Field Pant uh, by following the show notes for today's episode. That's first40 slash 064. Also, if you're looking for a pair of pants that's not quite as warm and heavy as these, but performs really well in the winter, especially in wet conditions, you might want to look at episode 32, where we reviewed the Columbia Royce Peak Men's Pant. Now, there's no women's version of those pants, but I have just loved those pants as well because of their performance in wet weather. And by the way, in that same episode, episode 32, we went a little more in-depth about uh, how to avoid sweating on the trail. And so there's a connection with today's episode as well. So that's uh, episode 32, thefirst40miles.com slash 032.
0: For today's backpack hack of the week wooden stakes so if you've lost a tent stake on the trail which happens more than you think it's easy to find a replacement not too far from your campsite
1: this is another super simple hack i mean all you got to do is go find a stick to replace your tent stake
0: we'll make it a little bit uh more classy than that. Yeah,
1: we do have a couple tips for (laughs) for improving your experience.
0: Okay, if you have any whittling ability at all, here's your chance to shine. So just grab a stick from the ground, whip out your knife, and clean up the stick a little bit, especially the tip of the stick because that's what's going to be going into the ground. So you can sharpen the tip, you can remove the bark, you can carve your initials into the stick along with your true love's initials.
1: (laughs) Nice. You can't do that in trees, but you could do it in this little tent state that you're making, right? Yeah, so you can kind of get that out of your system. You can also notch the top of the stick so that uh, your guy line or loop is going to stay secure in the top of the stick.
0: Nice, I told you we were going to make this classy. (laughs) And we did. Any other tips for a wooden stake?
1: Um, hardwoods are probably stronger than softwoods.
0: Freshly fallen wood is probably better than rotted wood. Pine cones don't work at all.
1: No, in spite of the fact that they are pointy.
0: Yeah, unfortunately. And we'll leave you today with a little bit of trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Chris Townsend. Now, Chris is a hill walker, which is just a wee bit different than hiking. Hill walking means that you're walking through mountainous areas of the U.K. Sometimes they even call it fell walking, which is from the dialect word fell, which means high, uncultivated land. And this hill walking or fell walking can sometimes involve a little bit of scrambling. Nothing too technical. Yeah. Mountain goat style.
1: (laughs) Well, he said, it is good to escape the rush of the modern world and for a period of time to live a quieter, more basic life. Problems and worries subside as the days go by. They are put into perspective by the elemental activity of putting one foot in front of the other, hour after hour, day after day. And on returning from the wilds, restored and revitalized by the experience, I find civilization can be much easier to deal with. Indeed, aspects of it, can seem very desirable.
0: That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, follow us on Facebook and Twitter or review us on iTunes. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. have some handy free stuff laying around that you can lose if you lose your gear <laughs> okay <laughs> for utilitary
1: utilitary, <laughs> utilitary. <laughs> <laughs>
0: this only works with sticks wood sticks got it not popsicle sticks even though they're made of wood wait we need to stop going down
1: now Yeah, you could bundle the popsicle sticks together,
0: <laughs> but I doubt you're going to find them in the woods. And we'll leave you to...